Flo knows number three, Craigo. We've uh, made it to number three. It's good. Made it to number three. It's been a little bit between uh, two and three, but um, time got in, busy busy schedules got in the way. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we're here now. So what are we, we've got, um, what are we talking about? I'll let you kind of talk, intro what we're talking about, Craig. Um, so we're talking about, I suppose, something we see a fair bit of in the clinic. Um, so osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. Um, so at the moment, um, we're running two little programs um, that are kind of separate from one another, but there's often a huge overlap between the two. Um, we've got osteoarthritis, um, essentially uh, related to kind of like symptomatic joint changes over time. Um, and then we've got osteoporosis, which is often a more silent uh, issue um, in the sense that it's not usually associated with pain and things like that, but it's more, I suppose, the reduction in bone density over time. So most people may not know that they have it until they have a fall and they have a fracture. Doctor sends them off for a series of tests and then suddenly they realise they've got osteoporotic changes in the bones. So um, sometimes you'll hear about this called um, a silent condition or a silent disease where you don't really know about it until a number of changes have occurred. Um, yep. And one of the big things that ties them together is something that we we're speaking about off camera before is a thing called sarcopenia, um, which is a reduction in skeletal uh, muscle mass um, that is almost like a gateway, a gateway condition to a number of these other presentations that we often see. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, we talked a, a fair bit off camera and... We, as I said, we probably should have recorded it because we, we probably got the, half of the podcast done. Yeah. Um, so we've been running the the osteoarthritis sort of stuff for a, probably a year and a half or so now, the, the specific uh, osteoarthritis program. Um, and I guess, like you said, the commonalities between the two is often you'll, you'll find that you might have someone with a comorbidity of like osteoarthritis with an element of osteoporosis um, but the commonalities that we see is often that people lose strength, they lose function, and the differences, I guess, like you said, is that the osteoporosis tends to not really present until something happens mm. where they might have a low-velocity low kind of fall which results in an osteoporotic fracture or they might uh, present with some back pain and they, they go for a scan, they have like a vertebral crush fracture or something uh, of the sorts, often affecting kind of postmenopausal women, but men aren't aren't um, uh, what's the right, what's the right word? They're not immune to kind of not getting osteoporosis. It's not just a female kind of specific disease, although it does really present quite um, heavily from the statistics in the postmenopausal plus fifty age group for women, um, and. The commonality that we were talking about in, in that loss of kind of strength and muscle function and kind of sarcopenia as a, as a sort of syndrome is very common between the two. Um, and I guess what, again, it's more evidence for us for what we talked about in the last couple of uh, podcasts is that it comes back to your physical function, like your strength of your and, and your performance to deal with daily life and if we start to see that deconditioning that slope where you're not doing any kind of strength training or any real exercise uh, we know we're going to see um, some some decline in physical condition which then might result in someone presenting with some joint pain or having a fall and eventually getting diagnosed with an osteoporosis sort of uh, diagnosis and I guess it comes back to us and our philosophy is basically kind of get strong, recognise the factors that are going to come into play and kind of start dealing with them before it becomes an issue. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, it's like essentially if you're kind of strong, capable, um, in control of what you're doing, then suddenly you're in control of adapting to your environment. Um, the thing that we see with... Uh, people in that like downward slope that you're talking about is at some point in time often unfortunately do see that 
they're no longer to able to adapt and like withstand their environment because they just don't have an adequate degree of strength and control. Um, and I suppose at a couple of levels, this can be pretty even like heartbreaking at times where you see someone who might be um, getting into their older years, into their 80s and things like that. And psychologically, they might be sharp as attack, but you start to unfortunately see like a physical decline and um, they're no longer able to kind of like adequately look after themselves, like lose independence um, and sometimes unfortunately end up in kind of like nursing homes, things like that, or have a fall, um, break something. Um, and it can be at the, the far end of things, pretty traumatic and daunting. So often what I suppose our approach is, is early prevention as well. So we know that there is often like a bit of a cascade of events that occurs time and yeah. time again. And from a research perspective, that strength training um, can, if we intervene early, um, can really slow, delay, prevent a number of those things occurring. Definitely. Well, let's, uh, I'm going to, maybe we'll dive into the osteoporosis side first and we'll separate the two so we don't confuse people, I think, um, yeah, by lumping them together. Yep. Um, and before we go on to kind of the burden of kind of the disease itself and some stats, I was just thinking when you were kind of saying, you're talking about environment and things and my 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 thought process, because I've got it with Flinny is 10 months next week or 10 months kind of, 10 months old next week and it's interesting when you talk about environment and you sort of look at the environment of a developing kid they need they need exposure to different things in their environment to be able to kind of continue to grow and develop and play and kind of pull up to things and develop their muscle strength kind of naturally and kind of climb on things and then they start pulling up to stand and then they they're kind of starting to furniture crawl and he's kind of now at the point where he just wants to walk and and basically roam and explore if you kind of bring that into the other end of the spectrum uh, from a lifespan point of view with our older elderly pop our environment inevitably as kind of things start to get to those later years becomes less challenging and we start to make things more comfortable because we want to kind of obviously kind of look after our our elderly population and things, but does it come at a detriment of them losing their physical performance and their function? Like you, you kind of think, well, all right, we need, you get to a point where you start accessing to single level homes, which is probably, okay, that's fair enough. We want to reduce falls risks and we don't want them to have to be climbing stairs and have, um, have issues down the track. But when do you make that call? And like, does our environment then play into us losing our condition? We start getting kind of lift off chairs and things like that, that really then just allow us to be comfortable with our, with our level of function. But how much does it play into detriment to our body's performance? And I think there's a balance there. There's always a balance. It's never black and it's never white. You've got to be safe when you're in that, those years, because we know that in the elderly pop, as soon as, uh, if you do have a, a traumatic fall that results in a hip fracture, the, the mortality rate post hip fracture is quite severe. Um, but I think there's a balance there as we kind of enter the ages that we've got to recognize early and implement early prevention, considering the evidence that we're going to go through today with everything around strength training, exercise and keeping, keeping healthy. We need to be pushing out that information so people have access to being able to do the right things for themselves and their body and in their context of their health so that they can continue to perform for as long as possible um, independently because it means more, and we've talked about it before, it means more, less cost of, uh, less burden of disease on the healthcare system. It means people are more active and, and healthy in the community. Their social participation won't decline they can still get out and be independent and drive and meet with their friends and play sports and have some activity socially as well as kind of everything else are, are, that comes with that in terms of their health um markers as well so it was just interesting my head went straight to flinny and i was just thinking him this morning he's just a he's a he's tearing things he's a he's a little uh bruiser and he's kind of just <laughs> pulling up and he's you can see he's getting quite strong and he's start he's gone from like crawling and 
I can see him kind of walking very soon, but yeah. he's naturally just growing his strength because he's a product of that environment. But if you were to kind of take that environment away from him and just sort of say, sit here and close him or he's in a pram and he's not doing any of that stuff, as much as that's probably good for a parent uh, at some time where you've got to con contain them, the kids, uh, and I think let's not just leave it at kids, we need our environment to kind of uh, stimulate us so that we can kind of perform and do things and be interested in things. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's like we probably see that uh, aging in itself um, almost gets too much blame. So we've probably all seen examples of someone who's well into their 70s, they're um, still running or swimming or doing weights or kind of like having hobbies and do what they want to do. And they're kind of seen as the the abnormality, but we often kind of see uh, that I suppose that's like what we're not all, but what we can be capable of uh, yeah. because we often see just people do less and less and less. Our bodies are then, uh, I suppose, capacity is to be able to do less and less and less. Um, and it gets put down to aging where it's actually just the fact that we haven't done a number of these things for a while. So um, you get someone who may not have run since they were 15 years old or, jumped since they were 20 um and they're like oh, in their 50s and they're like oh there's no way i can do those things um because i'm too old and it may not necessarily be that it just can be the fact that you haven't done it for an extended period of time so your body's not adapted adapted to it so i suppose like what we see and what kind of the research tells us and a lot of this is just from the royal australian college of um gps um guidelines almost um a fantastic guideline when <laughs> through it really good um and it's almost kind of like strength training impact um load um doing kind of like novel activities is almost like the fountain of youth in a lot of ways mm, um, so we saw there's like pharmacological interventions trying to provide that but it's almost sitting right there um yes. something that unfortunately a lot of people don't do enough of um, well, yeah exactly i think um yeah, when you look at someone that's kind of like, oh, I can't do that or I've, I, I can't do that because X, Y, Z, we tend to look at it and go, well, I disagree. I just think you haven't done it for a long time and therefore your body's deconditioned to a point, say, on the ladder or the step progression that we talk about is that you're probably at this capacity but all we need to do is be smart about it, bar any kind of thing that's going to stop you from adapting and changing over time medically or from a pathology point of view uh, but what we see more and more is that if we if you exercise consistently and you have that old principle of progressing slow and allowing adaptation allowing recovery providing the body with the right kind of intake of nutrients so it can the, your cells can do their thing what we tend to find over time is that it's just all right we're at this capacity now but what we talked about last uh, i think in the last one was where do you want to be like what what is your actual goal and then just map it and then progressively load adapt recover progressively load again adapt and recover and then go to the next level and when we see when we kind of see especially our our kind of plus 48 50 year old uh, females come through in some of our programs that we run we baseline test them and then we retest them and it's like a a 200 percent improvement i think we were talking about the other day in some of their baseline testing you're like it depends where you put your ceiling it really comes back to kind of without being too wishy-washy with some of the stuff you see like it really comes back to where your mindset is around what do you want to do and where do you see your capability level because in essence without being kind of like overshooting it's like where do you want to be you 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 set your ceiling so just map towards it and keep progressing and if you can be consi consistent over time you're going to get to wherever you want to get to you've just got to make sure you put in the work which is the, probably the biggest uh barrier to to people actually getting to their goals mm. and yet like you said it's just like consistency over time like we with uh, a number of things related to kind of health and fitness and things like that it's uh, unfortunately looking for like immediate results, but we see time and time again, we said like 200% improvement in certain things, like 
that's not uncommon for some of the people that we see in the program. I had one this week that I think was like over 400% improvement in um, in some of the strength measures um, where that's just consistently working on things, building on things, giving it time to adapt. And as a result, people tend to feel better. Um, we know that from like a psychological and wellness perspective, if you feel good physically, um, if you got minimal pain, if you can do what you want to do, then usually from a psychological perspective, like you're happier, um, you're enjoying things, um, you're less concerned, I suppose, about day to day activities being a challenge or painful and things like that. So yeah, it's a huge flow on effect. Well, again, it just comes back to your physical function dictating what you can do. And if you're if you're everything that you want to do in your life exists, I think uh, Meekins uses the the circle, or we tend to use the kind of the gauge of like just yeah, yeah. the the bar graph sort of thing. It's like if everything you use in, uh, want to do in your life exists below the level that you hold your physical capacity at, then there's going to be few few things that give you grief, bar some kind of dramatic accident or kind of exposure to something uh, that you don't normally do if you can keep your physical level and perf- level of function at a certain level and everything that you want to do exists underneath it it means that you will you're going to live a life where you can just you can go and play tennis with your friends if you want to be playing tennis you can go and kind of go for a walk or you can go and do some training or you can go and kind of carry the shopping up the stairs without any help and in one go all of these things that you do in your your daily life if you are keeping your physical function above the level that you're exposed to then in essence you're not limited by anything you might be challenged at times and then you want to progress further but you're not limited by anything and then therefore if you've got no impairment your functional capacity is good your participation in anything that you want to do is not then restricted. And if you're not restricted by things that you want to participate in, whether it's socially or physically or whatever it is, then ultimately psychologically it's going to be good for your well-being because you're not then going, I can't play, I, I love, I, keep, I don't know why I keep going to tennis, <laughs> but I, I, I love tennis and I want to play tennis, but I'm restricted in it because my knee hurts and I can't do it. But so I stopped playing tennis and tennis might mean that you play twice a week with your friends where you catch up. And if you stop doing that, then maybe your social circle and your social kind of participation starts to decline. And we know that people need social interaction. So therefore, if a physical impairment or physical ailment is limiting you functionally and participating in that, in that whatever it is, that leisure activity or the catching up with your friends, we know that that has detrimental effects and we know that if you are if you have multiple and more and more kind of yellow flags or psychosocial flags it becomes harder to kind of then deal with some of those things that come on and you've got to recognize them and start to implement a bit of a plan to get back to what you need to be doing rehab wise or kind of going down that line but definitely and it's like you said, like if you're functioning at a certain level, you can do what you want to do, then it's usually happy days. Um, it kind of it applies to everything, whether it's your favorite sport, tennis, or playing with the grandkids, or uh, uh, anything along those lines. So um, it's, I suppose, the other thing as well, where we're kind of talking about like strength being the basis of it. Um, and then also maintaining kind of adequate kind of cardiovascular health, like with like a lot of things health related it's all just all interrelated um yeah. so we do see that it's like whether you get enough sleep um whether you eat a nutritious diet um whether you're doing things that can i suppose have a detrimental impact like smoking uh increased alcohol intake things like that um it's almost just like your baseline pillars um and sometimes we'll call them basics and they're simple in theory but not often always um, super well executed, but if you can just always bring it back to that, get on top of those, then usually it's pretty happy days with most things. Yeah, definitely. We've talked, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or not. Did, it, did we ever mention the performance e- ecosystem? I don't know. We've we brushed well, on it, I think, but we may as well put it out there. <laughs> um, and I think 
like so the performance ecosystem exactly what you talked about it's those pillars of of health so i think we categorized it as kind of your movement exercise let's call it physical activity or and underneath that comes your strength training your aerobic capacity and everything that comes under physical functioning flexibility mobility whatever so that's one pillar you've got your nutrition that comes under another pillar and you might put like your hydration and stuff under that as well your food intake and things your sleep and recovery is another pillar and then also we talked in you could probably lump in in the sleep and recovery is your stress uh your stress management um so dealing with life and things but and probably within that if we add if we added like a like a psychological mindset kind of pillar within that we call it the performance ecosystem and we call it the i think we the first time i kind of conceptualized it i'm sure it's out there in other fashions as well but it's it's an ecosystem that's interdependent and it's interrelated like an ecosystem is if one pillar or one kind of area of those sort of things isn't up to or it starts to suffer what you'll inevitably see is probably a suffering of each of those things with time because they all get affected and therefore the ecosystem starts to change but if you can keep them at a level of happy kind of levels or happy uh healthy kind of um inputs for all of them like when you are say trying to grow a garden you've got an ecosystem of things that goes on to make that thrive and if we come back to thrive versus not thriving if you look at someone that is thriving usually they're ticking off those boxes and if they're not if something's kind of falling down in one of those pillars inevitably what we tend to see is that they'll start to decline over time because they're not kind of ticking or meeting the needs of one of those pillars so it's kind of that performance ecosystem you could apply to your athletes or whatever, but we can apply it to just the human being is that you need to have these things in order because our body requires these inputs and kind of uh, the interrelated interdependence of them to really thrive. And that's what we kind of talk about so often is how do we get people to thrive off their own bat? How can we kind of help encourage and empower people to actually then start taking care of themselves with some good information around those four pillars mm. and i think that's it it's like in this day and age where there's so much information out there um there's a lot of information out there some of mm. it's really good um some of it's kind of unfortunately not so good as well so i suppose what we want to try to do is give people the best available information so that then they can kind of make all of these decisions and some of the things aren't the most uh kind of like sexy kind of things where it's like take the supplement and blah 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 um it's almost yeah. just like doing the basics um getting them kind of down pat and almost like putting them on autopilot like if all of these things are uh, over time are just habits rather than conscious decisions um so going okay am i going to exercise today um, am I going to go to bed at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. in the morning? Um, and then seeing almost like this like flow and effect, if it's just like, yeah, get into a good routine, get into a good groove, and you'll kind of know it yourself where you're going, yeah, I'm going pretty well at the moment, not too stressed, sleeping well, feeling good, exercising. And then you'll know there's other times as well where things are just like spiraling out of control, like things might get pretty stressful at kind of work or at life or whatever, and then, as a result, you're kind of waking up tired in the morning because you, know, you haven't slept well. Um, sooner or later, you may start to get run down or sick or suddenly you might kind of injure yourself um, depending on kind of if you're playing kind of sports and things like that. You can kind of like see it go one way or the other. I think last yeah. week you were talking about that um, return on investment um, and you'll hear other people say that they're kind of all like levers. Um, yeah. So it's either like you can use this to... I suppose like leverage you in the right direction um, yeah. or they can also have kind of the opposite effect as well. Um, and these are all like the short term um, things that we can kind of look at and address. And then where we're talking about our osteoarthritis, our osteopenia um, or osteoporosis, sarcopenia, things like that. Um, they're almost like the long term consequences of these, this ecosystem pretty much over time. So if over a protracted period you're 
kind of not sleeping and recovering well, you're not exercising to an adequate degree, mm. um, you're not kind of keeping a number of those other things in check, then over time you just see this like gradual kind of decline until something becomes uh, clinically diagnosed. Um, yeah. So sometimes say you then go to the doctor and you get a scan and you find out that you do have poor de bone density, but this tracks back a lot further than that. A long time. It just yeah. didn't happen overnight. Exactly. It's been a long, silent kind of scream um, over many, many years. Mm. Interesting. So let's, I, I guess, I, I like it, Craig. I, I think um, let's dive more into this kind of osteoporosis and the, the topic. So I think we said, and I can't remember what was on and what was off record when I started recording. <laughs> But so from that, from the, um, the the clinical guideline that we kind of looked at, and uh, a lot of the the researchers out there, I think one of the big stats that came out of the guideline that I read or we talked about was that, I guess your your level of evidence. So just to explain for people, your level of evidence again, I think we talked about it in one of the other ones. If it's a level one evidence, it's good quality evidence. It's usually a randomised controlled trials that have been systematically reviewed um, that give us good evidence that something has good clinical effect. Um, within these GP guidelines that we looked at today, they then rate them from a grade and say, well, yeah, this has big clinical value. It's been peer reviewed. It's grade A, uses level one evidence. And when we look through the guidelines of the recommendations, I guess the first thing is that your, your strength training sits in the category of grade A evidence, so level one, high quality, um, big clinical impact for having an effect on this osteoporotic, osteopenic population. And I guess our recommendations around the exercise was the big thing that stands out for us because within that guideline, it states that, okay, there's really high quality evidence for these population, specific population of people and people at risk of being kind of osteoporotic in the future, osteopenic, so plus 50 men and women. There's really high quality evidence for strength training, progressive resistance training, um, and also some higher intensity balance and also kind of uh, impact loading programming. But the stat on it was that in the in one of the 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 research done by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, I think that in this specific population, only 20% of people with osteoporosis reported exercising every day and only 6% reported doing any form of strength training. 6% and that's our grade A level evidence along with kind of there's more evidence around like the pharmacological intervention and things like that. But from our aspect and what we kind of dive into, there's high quality evidence that this population needs to be strengthened training they need to have some impact load progressively within their context of where they start and progressing slowly that's why they probably need someone to kind of assess your baseline capacity and have a, a bit of a roadmap to where you need to get to but only six percent of the population with osteoporosis stated that they did any form of strength training and yet we know that the implementation of some this form of training can help us prevent improved by mineral density um, it can help negate or not have the effects of like sarcopenia it can improve physical function and it can reduce the the risk of fractures and therefore hospitalization and morbidity mortality that happens after that so why is this not just in our every day like why is this population not training and that kind of then spurred us on to the program that we've kind of implemented at Flow for this specific population to kind of remove the barrier to access so people can get good quality or high quality care in their specific context. So they're not just going, oh shit, what do I do? Do I go to the gym? Do I kind of go to the, the ladies only gym? Like, what am I doing? Where do I start? I've got this diagnosis. So we are kind of our program that we've implemented or our program that we kind of started is about removing that barrier. Let's give people the right advice and start giving them access to the information first, but then also the, the, the structure to the program to start helping them improve 
I guess their risk of morbidity, mortality around osteoporosis, sarcopenia, osteopenia, all of those things. Mm, definitely. And it's the other thing that we, um, that's interesting to note as well from those guidelines themselves, um, they've actually looked at, because we know like a lot of people within this age group are actually pretty active. Um, they might walk, swim, cycle, um, and they've actually found that that in itself, even if you're doing it on a daily basis, for kind of like your muscle um, and bone health isn't actually sufficient. It'll give you good cardiovascular effects um, and kind of we encourage all of those things. Um, but then if you're adding on top of that some strength work, then you're kind of like ticking all those boxes to really kind of help yourself, um, mm. allow yourself to kind of feel good, operate at a high capacity long-term um, and just kind of, I suppose, getting the most out of life really. So that was an interesting thing where they've actually specifically put in their guidelines that those things in themselves are really good. But for, from this perspective, um, to kind of help with the bone mineral density um, and kind of give the benefits of like the loading and things like that isn't actually enough where they've specifically said kind of high resistance, high velocity um, and impact load is on top of that, um, yeah. what's required. Um, so I suppose the idea of our program as well is because these categories are in a more high risk group. Um, if you do have kind of um, low bone mineral density and things like that, you want to do things in the right way rather yeah. than uh, kind of doing everything um, and unfortunately kind of finding that things uh, don't go smoothly, smoothly as you'd like. So like you said, we want to remove access. We want to make people feel comfortable um, and pretty much show them the way to do it in a kind of like smart uh modified like step-by-step -step manner um so it's again like before it's like where's the ceiling where do we want to get to mm -hmm. then first engineer it and go okay these are our action steps this is what we're going to do these are our time frames so that we can allow the body to adapt and recover as well um because it's not all about how much you can squeeze into a certain time frame but it's more just consistency um and then building on that allowing recovery time and that's when you get those kind of crazy results that we we're talking about before. Exactly. And I, I think the big thing there is that changing or improving or preventing loss of bone mineral density really needs that impact load. So mm. what, what we're talking about there is that you're going to see changes in kind of muscle strength and local bone mineral density dependent on the muscles that you're using when you're strength training. But uh, in terms of like your total body stuff, we need to kind of increase your impact load in order to kind of have these changes in bone mineral density. So what will often then get missed is like people go, okay, well, I'm 57 years old or I'm 65 years old or whatever, I've got osteoporosis and you're telling me that I need to be jumping. It's like, well, it depends. Yes, we need impact load, but are you up to that level of jumping yet? Again, here's our ladder. These are our these are our structured progressions. This is the top level that we might strive for. But where are you on the ladder at the moment? What's your osteoporosis kind of severity like? What's your T score? We'll look at how appropriate is it um, the risk versus reward benefit that our impact activity isn't going to cause a, a, a actual osteoporotic fracture um, as we apply it. So how and our job is to go well. This is your your severity. This is your T score, and I maybe might get you to kind of run through what the T score actually is for people. Um, where do you sit on the risk, and where do we start you on the scale? But where where's our progression plan? So, someone who might be pretty well and not have a, a high risk of osteoporotic fracture, or they might not have a diagnosis of osteoporosis fracture, and they can start some jumping work or some higher impact activity. They might be up here, but then that more severe, um, that more severe kind of population, maybe more elderly population, or a higher level of bone density loss, we won't start at that level because there might be a risk of actually in inducing an osteoporotic fracture with higher impact work. But our plan is, along with all the other re recommendations of making sure they're getting adequate nutrition, calcium, vitamin D intake, they're kind of getting some safe levels of sun exposure, They've we've liaised with the GP or whoever's like really overseeing their kind of medical side, 
then we start them at the appropriate level and our progression plan with re adequate recovery and we're kind of monitoring those things we you need to know where to, where your start point is so that we can program accordingly and again we need to change bone mineral density we need to kind of expose the musculoskeletal system to impact and it just depends on the art of kind of applying that science I, I always use is dependent on where that that person is what's the context of this person in front of me and where are they at from a baseline test point accounting for everything else we've talked about in their past medical history their comorbidities what's going on what is the correct exercise prescription for them to start how are we going to monitor it and then how are we going to implement it over the next six to 12 weeks and how when are we going to retest to make sure that we're kind of on the right path and that's where our kind of art comes into applying the science of uh i guess rehab in these con specific contexts yeah definitely and i suppose you were talking about the t-score and finding someone's baseline so there's obviously kind of we'll conduct like a nice background history um taking into account their previous medical history and things like that we then do some functional tests to find out where they're at. Um, but where we've mentioned before that, say, from an osteoporosis point of view, they call it like a silent condition or a silent disease and things like that. We don't necessarily know from testing physically what the actual bone mineral density is like. So the T-score um, will be a test that um, will be conducted um, by kind of like doctors, specialists, things like that, to give us a gauge on your bone mineral density. Um, so essentially we know that there's certain norms that we'd expect for people. Um, and then when people are uh, swaying from those norms um, in regards to osteopenia, um, that's almost like some, I suppose, some reduction in bone mineral density um, prior to osteoporosis. Um, mm -hmm. So as we're getting from our norm, um, further and further i suppose down or kind of standard deviations and things like that um working down um in our average range um then that's when we start to drop into some of those categories so uh from our perspective if we know where you sit along this spectrum it means that we can better gauge um how it fits in from a i suppose a bone strength and bone health and uh bone mineral density perspective um in addition to kind of like your physical capacity so um, that we can then safely implement, implement something for you um, yeah. so that, I suppose, works. You can have kind of confidence knowing that it's going to be right, it's going to be appropriate, and then it's all about kind of monitoring that uh, response as well and then, and then progressing. Um, so there's so many variables that go into it. Um, it's a simple idea in regards to the progression, um, but it's all uh, that art that you were talking about, about, uh, putting all these variables together um, and then finding the right fit. Definitely. Um, I think uh, what's uh, I put that post up last night. Um, so they reckon, based off the World Health Def Organization definition of osteoporosis, osteopenia, normal bone mineral density is, what is it? Uh, T-score of 1.0 or above. So... Uh, bone mineral density not more than one standard deviation below young adult uh, mean and then osteopenia is classified as between one and two and a half standard deviations below uh, young adult mean and then osteoporosis is considered uh, when your bone mineral density is two and a half or more standard deviations below and from kind of the the guideline that it, they suggest from some of the research that they've pulled that by two years time that basically approximately 72 percent of women who are uh, older than 50 are going to be classified as either osteoporotic or osteopenic and then also like i said before men aren't uh, immune it's 62 percent of men so where's our how do we backtrack and go well what are we going to do about it if our level one evidence is still around kind of this is what you need to be doing and they kind of look at the lifestyle factors that we touched on as well but are we getting people that are coming through even our clinic like it comes back to that physical activity guideline that we talked about um, even these young people because there's there's evidence that your peak bone mass uh, is dependent on kind of 
the exposure through your kind of adolescence and your childhood into your adult life. If you're if you're someone that doesn't stay physically active, then your peak bone mass isn't going to be as high as someone that's kind of playing sport, they're doing some jumping, they're physically active, they're involved in strength training. Your peak bone mass starts at probably a lower level if you're not active um, through your lifetime. So one of the big things that I think we just probably we probably just talk about it too much but i don't in the sense of what the effects are we don't because if someone comes in they, they usually present with some pain or something's gone on their post fracture or they've come in with osteoporosis or they're coming in for osteoarthritis program they usually present but a lot of the time when we're talking to our younger population it's about well are they meeting the physical activity guidelines because like you said before this is a longevity game. The, th the choices that you make now are going to affect you in the future. So, again, if we come back to that compounding uh, curve that we talk about is like if you can invest and be consistent now, you can choose which way you go. Do you go up and kind of keep getting better and your kind of health remains at a, a really good kind of state or do you go down? Are you, are you going to be positive or negative in terms of the choices you make now for what your health is going to be in the future? And I think um, an interesting way to look at it is probably the credit, like the are you putting money in or are you putting taking money out sort of thing? Like if you're if you keep on putting money in, it's going to grow and it's going to compound whatever. You're making good choices consistently. But if you keep on withdrawing from your health by making poor choices with whatever lever in that ecosystem that you, you, you're pulling from, what we're going to see in the future is a, a, a decline in that health status. And um, the percentage of men and women over 50 then that are going to be diagnosed as osteopenic or osteoporotic just means that, hey, we need to be pushing these these populations at whatever stage they're in to be having a baseline of like low level physical activity like walking moderately intense walking and be cardiovascularly well and conditioned but they need to not forget about adding those two sessions of strength training a week um, they need to make sure that they're getting into some impact sort of sessions to maintain overall health because when you when you then apply it into kind of the benefits and you look at musculoskeletal health, the the effects are huge. Then you kind of look at cardiovascular health. Again, the effects are great. The effects of your neurological system, the effects of your psychological well-being are all positively affected if you're meeting these guidelines. So why, why, what our job is, I think, and what we keep on saying is we need to educate and empower people to make those decisions. And then for us at Flow, we're kind of giving them access around those that education to actually come and perform some of those programs that we've got in place yeah definitely and sometimes we probably sound like broken records to a degree but um i suppose our intention is to make people aware of some of these things because uh unfortunately like you do get a lot of people who come in and they they swim they cycle they run um but they're not necessarily aware of the the strength side of things that they may not be doing and then the potential consequences of that down the line so uh it's like that whole thing it's prevention is better than cure so the earlier we can make someone aware of it the earlier we can get them into those habits um then from a long-term perspective then you may avoid some of those potential consequences um and hopefully living kind of like a happy kind of healthy life where you can do everything you want to be doing uh, at the end of the day is what it comes down to um so um we can go into kind of the statistics and things like that, but um, it depends what level you want to get into. But as like a sum total, um, that's kind of what it's all about too. Definitely. So, again, I'm mindful that we're probably hitting the time now. Um, run us through then what, uh, what are we doing at Flow? So what's our osteoporosis program? Uh, what's it all about? I know we've kind of talked about the, the kind of background on it. Uh, what can people expect if they're coming in for, uh, I guess, our – we've got to come up for, with a name for it. Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> at the moment, it's just the osteoporosis program. Um, tell us – run us through what people can expect. So essentially what it is, part of it is finding the baseline, taking kind of background history, um, assessing kind of your physical function, taking some uh, – 
getting our hands on your T-score, some of those things that we've mentioned before. Um, some of the tests that we do, um, we'll do a grip strength test, um, which is a good uh, indicator of basically total body strength, but in particular upper body. Um, we'll do a, a kind of 30-second sit-to-stand test, so it's as many kind of repetitions of a sit-to-stand as you can um, within 30 seconds. Um, this is a good test of kind of like uh, lower limb power and endurance. Um, and then we do a walking speed test. These are some of the things that have been shown in the literature um, to be kind of big predictors of sarcopenia. So basically muscle wasting, which can be a gateway to some of those other conditions. Depending on where you're at, um, we vary some of those tests. So for some people we get in, they may be uh, kind of higher up on the spectrum of capacity. Um, we'll kind of do adequate tests for them. Um, Conversely, we'll get some people who those tests might be quite challenging for. So we do kind of like lower level tests, all depending on where you're at, but they're kind of like our stock standard. We want to do an upper body strength test, um, a lower body, uh, I suppose, timed kind of power test, and then like a bit of endurance as well um, as our baselines. The program is based around um, our osteoporosis program anyway, um, what we'll call like our seven big movements. So it's doing kind of a pushing motion, um, our pulling motion, we do a lunging motion, a squatting motion, um, a carry, um, and then, oh, sorry, our kind of five, five big motions. Um, and then what we're also adding on top of that, um, as per the recommendations, are some balance work, um, and then also some impact load um, in some way, shape or form. Um, so that we know if we cover most of those big movements where we spoke before about our ability to interact with our environment, if we've got those kind of covered and ticked off, um, then that allows us to interact with our environment pretty nicely. Uh, from a balance perspective, the reason that that's included is with the osteoporosis, there's obviously a lower bone mineral density. So the risk of uh, injuries from falls is quite high. So the balance doesn't do anything for our bone mineral density, but what it does, it, uh, I suppose, improves our ability to stay on our feet. And then in particular, if something goes wrong, so say you misstep, can you recover? Um, yeah. As opposed to misstep, have a fall, and unfortunately incur a fracture. Um, and then finally, some form of impact loading. It'll vary person by person based on kind of their function, their T-score, where they're at, um, what's appropriate. Um, but this is again shown to have very positive effects in regards to bone mineral density. Um, so that's kind of like the basic overview of the program. The way that it works is um, a lot of the scientific recommendations um, look at a dosage to have an effect. So that dosage from a strength perspective, time and time again, shown to be if you can get kind of two sessions in um, as a minimum over the week, um, then that's an adequate amount to cause a response, to cause our body to adapt, um, to get strength improvements, and to also get those bone mineral density uh, benefits. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, bless you. Um, so we tend to run it um, two sessions per week. Each session goes for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, we'll often do one in clinic and one home-based. Um, so this amount allows for people who are active otherwise um, to continue to do their other hobbies and sports and things like that. Um, for people who are working, um, for people who might be kind of carers or looking after grandkids, things like that. Um, it's an amount that I suppose gives you a desired effect, but at the same time isn't kind of taking over your life as well. So it's something that can just assist and have that flow on effect without being kind of all too consuming as well. Um, so that's kind of like it in a nutshell. Sounds good. Mm. So um, tell me again, What's our takeaways? Uh, I guess our takeaways from today, if we run through our, because we, we started lumping them and I think we, we're better off just splitting osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, because yeah, people yeah. get confused, I think, with the terminology. Our takeaways for basically anyone that's listening, I think, because effectively at some point, touch wood, bar any kind of uh, issues, tragic accidents or anything, we all get to 50 plus um hopefully in some capacity which just means that all of us are going to be at risk of uh, osteopenia osteoporosis in the future particularly in our population who are 50 plus either at the moment uh post-menopausal women um that are 50 plus or might be already diagnosed with osteoporosis 
Um, I guess what are our takeaways for people now in order to help them help themselves? Mm. Well, I think it's one, just being aware. <laughs> Uh, what we know is best practice. So that being doing some strength work, um, ideally twice a week, um, on top of it, what else, whatever else you may be doing. Um, yeah. is one. Consistency over time is a big thing. So depending where along that timeline you are, um, if you're younger, say you're in your 20s, um, it's all about almost like building up that mountain of bone density as best we can when we're younger so that when we have this like gradual decline over time that we're at a much higher starting point um, so, or alternatively, um, if you're in your fifties, then we're kind of looking at, uh, keeping you kind of feeling good, um, functioning at a higher level. Um, even if you kind of further on, um, we do get people kind of, uh, in their eighties and things like that. Um, and for them, it might be more about doing kind of simple tasks, but comfortably doing it well, um, not being as concerned about unstable surfaces or, uh, walking up and down stairs. Um, so, it all kind of depends on where you're at, but the big probably thing is just consistency over time, creating a habit, um, definitely doing it as well. Um, and then probably the other thing is um, being aware of like the interaction between the different like pillars of our ecosystem before. Um, yeah. Sometimes that awareness can allow you to take a step back, evaluate, assess and go, okay, I'm uh, a bit stressed at the moment. This is kind of causing me to struggle a little bit sleep wise or, maybe from a dietary perspective um, that might be having an impact on a few other areas and just sometimes that ability to take a step back, remove yourself from it um, can then allow you to kind of like plan and adapt and uh, I suppose maximise your results and outcomes. Definitely. So I think uh, to wrap it up, the especially for our osteoporotic kind of and osteopenic kind of population is that you should be, participating in some form of progressive and high intensity strength and balance program that includes some impact loading work dependent on your context. We know then that this helps us or helps you to prevent or improve your bone mineral density. It improves your physical functioning like we talked about. It treats and kind of reduces that risk of those sarcopenic changes that happen within the muscular system and it decreases your falls and injury uh, or fracture risk, which is a huge, huge thing in the uh, plus 65, especially population for a cause of uh, mortality post-fracture. So one of the big things I think, again, is another tick box in the, the, uh, the list for um, strength training. Again, that's three in a row we kind of have gone. If you're not doing it, I think the, the biggest takeaway again is that you should start and it doesn't matter what age you're at, you should start strength training. You should be strength training. Find someone that can help you start and assess your baseline so that you can get a progressive, safe um, and consistent program that starts to help you help yourself. Sounds good. I'd agree 100%. <laughs> that was good, Craigo. Thank you. Um, all right. If uh, anyone needs to get in touch, I guess they can hit us up at flowphysioco.com, DM us on our socials, or ring the clinic. Yeah, we're always happy to have a chat if anyone's got questions. Yeah.